Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. In this episode, we're speaking with Reginald Lee, a professor in the Williams College of Business at Xavier University. Reginald and I spoke about project profitability and maximizing ROI, a topic on which he'll discuss further at the Columbus Virtual Accounting Show on November 6th. We discussed the mistakes made when considering the scope of projects, how the pandemic has impacted ROI, and a different way of looking at projects that have a financial or cash impact on the organization. Here's what he had to say say that because when we start thinking about the scope, I offer some things that are different with respect to scope. Um, and so if I don't understand the scope, I may get the financial modeling wrong. Here's an example. Um, and this often happens in construction, but you can also see it with, um, with consulting firms. So if I have an internal project manager, then if they're working on a project and they work for our company, we're going to pay them their salary, whether they're working on my project or not. Right. But when we start calculating the cost of a project, then we take, a, take their time, put a cost on it and say, this is gonna impact the cost of this project, right? Well, if let's say that their, their cost for the sake of, of simplicity is $100 an hour. That's, and we calculate that, right? That $100 an hour will go on a line item for the project. And if it's 10 hours, um, it's gonna be $1,000, right? Now, that's very different from paying an outside project manager the same $1,000. And the reason is when I'm looking at the $1,000 on the project line, the scope from an internal perspective is, when I consider from an internal perspective is that the $1,000 is just a placeholder for the value of that person's time. So there's no cash transaction there. However, if I bring someone in from the outside and I do pay them $1,000, there is a cash transaction. So even though the line item on the project may look the same, from a, an organizational perspective, they're actually very different. And so if I don't understand not only the scope of the project, but also the scope of the analysis, then I may find myself in a position where someone says, well, you know, it's just $1,000, I'll go to the outside and get this person. And now the company is $1,000 poorer because now we've had to pay the other person's salary and we're paying the person on the outside $1,000. So I think that's critical. And I see that a lot with a lot of, of, lot of um, the companies I've worked with and even the companies I've worked for in terms of doing their cash analyses, um, we don't necessarily look at things from a cash and non-cash perspective. So the example I just gave you with the project manager, the example that I gave you with, um, you know, saving you the 10%, all those numbers end up going into this analysis, but it doesn't necessarily have any cash impact or non-material cash impact if we're using one set of resources versus another. So it's really kind of intriguing. And like you mentioned, someone might not even realize that, you know, to compare the two when they look at it, like when you said, considering hiring an outside consultant versus maybe doing it themselves, what would you say to people to kind of say, this is how maybe you should start thinking about things, approaching things. So hopefully you're not maybe making these mistakes in the future. Sure, sure. The first step, I, I believe, is to focus Make yourself aware of and of the differences between our accounting analyses and our cash analyses, and they're not the same. A lot of times we'll say, well, this is a cash analysis, but a lot of people think contribution margins are cash and they're not. A lot of people think the profit's cash and it's not. 
So if we're not using the proper analyses and if they're not cash-based analyses, then we're going to get that wrong. So I would propose that they, um, you know, number one, focus on the cash and the cash modeling. What that takes you to then is when you start thinking about um, your analyses, right? I really want to understand how much money I'm spending and how much money I'm going, going to receive as a function of this project. And so the best way to do that, I believe, is to focus on the resources in the organization that may change. For example, if I've got two people who are doing a job and I pay them each $30 an hour, then that's $60 an hour, right? So if I make each of them more efficient, then I still have that same $60 per hour going out. However, if I look at the resources and say, well, I don't need two resources anymore. Now I can get by with just one. Now I can see there's a cash difference in terms of what I'm spending. I'm no longer spending $30 an hour. My cash was down to, excuse me, I'm no longer spending 60, I'm down to 30. And so what these analyses allow you to do when you're focusing on cash is to see specifically what are the changes, the managerial changes we need to make in the organization so that we can see a shift in the amount of cash that we're spending. So that's only tied to primarily what we're buying. So when we buy capacity, for example, people, materials, uh, space, equipment, technology, when we change how much of that we buy, in general, it changes how much we spend. Making, using them better will not necessarily change how much we spend. And so if you're modeling this appropriately and you say, okay, well, wow, I'm not really gonna save money unless I choose to change how much I buy or change the price at which I buy it. If I don't make those decisions, then I'm not gonna see the cash benefits. And so if you model really the organization from a cash perspective, focus on the capacity, people, materials, space, equipment, technology, those are the things we buy, that's what we spend money on. And that's what these improvement projects will focus on. You know, for example, if you think about Six Sigma, if you think about Lean, if you think about IT projects, they're trying to make these things that we buy more efficient. So that doesn't change what we spend on them. So if we, if we want to model the improvements, what we do is we model the organization and say, what's, what's different? What can we change about the organization after we implement this project that allows us to spend differently or allows us to um, you know, avoid things that we would have spent money on in the past? And if you can model it that way, then it's a lot clearer. And a lot of companies will say, yeah, you know, we do it that way. And then when I go and look at it, they really don't. And so the way I kind of compare it is, you know, McDonald's and Morton's both sell hamburgers. And if you talk about hamburgers, you're really not talking about the same thing. So, you know, what I implore people to do is, you know, and, and if they want to take a look at my books, I'll, that's fine. If you want to look at other approaches, that's fine. But focus specifically on cash transactions and what it is that I buy, when I buy it, how much I buy it, what I bought, I, why I bought it. And then if you can change that, change that behavior, change what it is you're buying, then you'll see specifically what the changes are. But too often what we'll do is we'll calculate these savings, right? Well, you know, I saved, you know, tens of millions of dollars in labor costs. Well, no, because the people are still working, right? And when I look at these projects, their value propositions are so inflated by these non-cash numbers. And they think, well, of course it makes sense to spend a million dollars on this software if I'm going to save $10 million in labor costs. And they think that there's a nine to one ROI there. And it's, it's, it's not. As long as the people are still working there, then I've paid money for technology. I'm still paying the people. Now they're more efficient, but they're still there and it won't affect your, your cash. And I love earlier that you, you mentioned a couple um, examples of organizations who 
who are implementing these thought processes and, and this approach. Are there any other examples of companies or, or recent things that come to mind when you say this is a perfect example of what I'm trying to instill here and what I wish you know more organizations would think about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see it a lot when you watch the news, right? We talk about things such as what it costs, you know, what it costs us to um, have it hold a prisoner, right? So let's think about that. Let's say that it costs us, they, they calculate a cost of $75,000 per prisoner per year, right? So when you add one more person to that prison, where do we see the difference in terms of spend? What we're truly spending on? And what we'll find in many cases is that a lot of these costs that we calculate, they'll do things like, you know, let's take the labor, the, you know, the warden's time and, you know, the, the, the guard's time and the amount of space that they take up and they calculate a cost associated with this, you know, the amount of food that they eat. But that doesn't, you know, so that's not necessarily a cash cost because when I walk in the door as a prisoner, all these things don't change by that much. I may have to buy a little bit more food for another person, or maybe I give everybody else less. If I buy more, I spend. If I give everybody less, I didn't. And so a lot of times when we're calculating these, the cost of doing something and say, you know, if we could just eliminate that, that money will go away. Um, you know, I see it on television awful lot. I see it when I talk to, um, to folks in organizations, you know, they'll come, up, come along and say, you know what, if I can just reduce my, my inventory by a million dollars, that's a million dollars cash. Well, no, it's not. Not necessarily. It depends on how you choose to dispose of it. And one example that I like to give in my talks, and I'll probably give it in the talk in Columbus, focuses on one organization that was, uh, was a client. And a, um, a software person came along and said, you know, if you buy our software, uh, it'll save you $4 million. And so Gary said, how? Well, you're going to get data faster. Your people are going to be more efficient. They're going to be able to work more error-free. And Gary said, I, I agree with that. I agree with all of that. But how am I spending $4 million? And the guy you know, kept throwing out all these traditional IT value props. And finally, Gary came back and said, if I accept this project, if I buy your software, I'm on the hook for saving $4 million. And I need you to point out to me how I'm going to get that $4 million. I'm spending $4 million fewer dollars as a result of your software. And the guy said, I can't. And Gary said, okay, I'll buy the software, but I'm not going to you know, put that $4 million price tag on it, right? Or value proposition on it. And so when, when companies don't understand this, they make decisions like that. And a lot of times when my firm is, is brought in to have conversations with folks about cash issues, um, either A, they're in a good position and they want to do something, do more, or B, it's kind of bimodal. They're in a really tough position and they need help right away. And so, you know, in these conversations, you just hear all these assessments of things that are so incorrect. And I had one client who was, uh, you know, a book publisher and they were focusing on the profit per book and to increase the profit per book, they would have to spend more money and they weren't necessarily realizing the increase in spend in terms of revenue. So as a result, to get their costs down, they actually spent more money. And by not understanding that, then they found themselves in a cash poor position. And so with so many of these, these organizations, it just happens all the time. If we don't understand the difference between what a cash cost is, what I'm spending money on, like with a project manager, and a non-cash cost, which would be you know, hiring an inter internal resource, if I'm not distinguishing the between the two of those, which most companies I've, I've dealt with don't, then the answer is they're always gonna make these, these mistakes, whether it's with project improvement opportunities or you know, improvement projects uh, for the organization, or even with making decisions with what they sell in the market. 
you know, looking at the margins that they make. There's so many things associated with the margin that misses out, that's miss, missed out from an operations perspective that it's no wonder people make bad decisions because they're not looking at the right information. And you realize, for example, that if I make another product, it doesn't matter if my cost goes down if I can't sell it, right? Or if I'm making my people more efficient so I can create more output, which is a typical um, you know, output of one of these improvement projects, right? Make my people more efficient, they can do more. But if there's no demand for the more, I haven't generated any more revenue. And if the people are still working there, I haven't saved any costs. And so in the end, I'm still in the same cash position as I was. And Reginald, you've mentioned a couple times, you know, it sounds like for a lot of people, this is a new, new way of thinking, new approach. And I think sometimes when you present those ideas, um, there can be pushback, especially if people think that they are doing it correctly and that um, haven't considered another approach. Do you find that there's any pushback when you're maybe talking to organizations or others just kind of about thinking about this differently? And, you know, like you mentioned with your previous example, not necessarily taking everyone's word for like, oh, this will save you X amount of money if you do this. That's a good question, Jessica. People will generally push back until they understand. And I'm not saying all people, um, you know, I don't get a lot of pushback with this. I'll say maybe, you know, 10, 20%, maybe the people start asking questions like, oh, wait a minute, I don't know about that. But once people exp are explained the concepts, or, you know, a lot of people who really get this, you know, the people who've read my books before starting to follow that way of thinking, right? Cash-based way of thinking. So those people are on board immediately. The people who are, um, you know, kind of in the middle, who are open to listening to this, they, they get it. They get it right away. You know, for example, I'm working for a company and uh, they were in, in bad shape financially and they were about to be delisted from the stock exchange. And so they asked for some help from a cash perspective, help them think through, okay, where can we um, generate more cash within the supply chain, right? Jessica, we looked at not a single cost and that made people a little bit, I guess, leery at first, but I had to explain to them, all right, so let's say we make your equipment more, more efficient, right? There's no increased demand in the market for your product, so I'm not going to sell anymore, right? Right. Okay. So make you more efficient. The labor costs are still the same. Equipment costs are still the same. The, your space costs is still the same. Material costs are all the same. So if everything else is still the same, how are we really saving money? And why should we be focusing on this? And you have to go through and get people to understand a little bit about the difference between accounting costs and you know, non-cash costs or cash, I mean, uh, accounting non-cash costs and how they differ from cash costs. But you know, once you get through that, and once we were able to explain to this company, here's how we're going to look at this. We're just going to look at how much we spend. And so we went in and explained to folks, okay, you know, we're going to have to reduce labor here. We're going to have to reduce um, the, the facility here. And once we we're able to explain the changes we we're making to the organization and the impact of cash that, that was going to have as a result of the spend and looked at what we're buying and what we're making, it became very simple to understand, okay, here's how the world's going to operate in the future. And here's the difference between what it looks like today, what it looks like tomorrow, and here's how we're going to meet the demand of tomorrow with the resources that we have today. And that analysis, once people started looking at it, Jessica, it was so easy. I mean, even the folks in the street, when, they, when the, the CEO announced it, it was so easy for them to understand. And so once people begin to understand these tools and these techniques, a lot of them just don't think about it any differently anymore. It's like, you know, that, that, that uh, social media statement, you can't unsee it, right? Once you see the impact of, 
of cash and doing your analyses with cash, then it's hard to not think about that anymore because you can always go back to, yeah, but if I do this, if, you know, if our company does this, we're not going to save any money or we're actually going to spend more because of this. And when you see it, it becomes obvious. It becomes immediate. And so with most, most folks, once they get it, get past that initial stage, they're fine. And of course, this has can have a significant impact on companies and organizations that, like you mentioned, begin to think this way and kind of embrace this approach. And I'm curious, would you say that the pandemic has kind of forced some companies to rethink and maybe look at this approach, especially ones that are struggling, ones that are really looking to uh, maximize their ROI? You know what? Absolutely. And so there are a couple things, right? A couple things. Number one, going into the pandemic, when companies had to make decisions such as furloughs and shutdowns, right? We shifted away from thinking about the cost of this and the cost of that to cash, right? And so what we found is that when, when people had to make the decisions, then they focused on cash-based information, not cost-based information. And so, you know, do I, do I have to shut down facilities? If I shut down a facility, then I have to pay some maintenance costs associated with it being there. Maybe I have to pay the, you know, the leasing cost or whatever, but for the most part that can go away. If I, you know, if, if I'm not necessarily leasing it from someone anymore, right. Or if I shut labor down, if I furlough people, I can see the changes in cash. So going into the pandemic, even here at Xavier, where I teach, um, you know, we had to make some significant shut, uh, cutbacks, right. And so we ended up taking pay cuts, for example, um, cuts and benefits. Uh, some people were unfortunately let go. And that's, those are cash-based decisions, right? So I saw a shift in focus there. Now in companies that are coming out of the pandemic, what's interesting is those who can focus on cash can make better decisions than those who are focusing on profit. For example, let's say that I'm a company, I'm a restaurant, or no, let's say I'm a, a, a you know, small advertising agency, right? Or even an accounting firm. And what I'm thinking about doing is bringing people back because I know every person I bring back is going to be a bump in terms of how much cash I have to make. Right. So I've got to think about the timing because with certain activities with my company, I will want to have resources available so that when I sell the opportunity, then we can deliver on it. Right. So I may have to think about the rate at which I buy these resources and the rate I buy resources affects the rate of spending cash. So I've got to manage that with my ability to generate revenue out in the market, right? So that becomes more of a cash play. For those who are thinking about um, the, the cost per output, for example, then I'm starting to think through things such as, well, if I can bring people in and make it more efficient, then you know my costs go down. And it doesn't. It, it doesn't work that way. The math doesn't work that way. And I've shown that you know, in practically every book that I've, I've written, just the math doesn't work out that where, you know, the more I do, the cheaper it is. Question I've often asked is, give me one example where making 50 of something, you're spending less money than you're making three of something. And the answer is they, they can't, it's never happened. Right. And so when you start thinking about situations like that, companies will make the decisions on resources, trying to think about the profitability of the products or services that they offer. And what they're not necessarily considering is how much money they're spending in the organization. Right. So coming out of the pandemic, what I'm seeing is that the companies who are focused primarily on spending and understanding demand, of their products and services, or even of work internally, they can make better decisions in terms of when to bring people on, what people to bring on, um, and that then will put them in a better position to generate cash than those who are just focusing on um, the, the profitability of a product. Because when I'm looking at the prof profitability of something, I know nothing about 
how I got there, right? If I tell you that I made $50,000 on a project, tell me how I got there, who worked on the project, how long did they spend on the project, how efficiently, how efficiently or effectively were they used? We don't know. We don't have any of that information, right? But if I look at that stuff and foresight, I can make better decisions and decide, you know what? My efficiency is good enough. Let's bring somebody else in now because we expect demand to be increasing. Or, you know what? We'd like to bring someone in, but we just don't see the sales coming. And so let's wait until we get the next sale opportunity, sales opportunity where we can bring someone else in. We get that confidence level up, right? So with those situations, Jessica, I've got a, I, I can make better business decisions. I can make better operations decisions. I can make better decisions that influence cash. And if I get better at those things, then the results in the back end are going to take care of themselves. I, I think it's three things. Number one, I think it's important for companies to look at project, their improvement projects a little bit differently. Let's not fall into this, the, the, the boat of doing it the same way we've done it forever. Because, you know, if you come to the presentation or if you listen to the presentation or I've got a, a book coming out about this, um, any of those will show you that, <clears throat> excuse me, the approaches that we're using are, are, are not right. And that's it's just based on basic math. Number two, um, I think what we want to do is think through the strategic importance of some of these things that we do. I mean, you know, if we, when we get to see these big value propositions that I talked about, and they've got these non-cash costs in there that I think is money and it's not, right? When I see these huge value propositions, then sometimes it may incentivize me to do things that aren't necessarily the most important things to do strategically. And so um, part of what I talk about in the book and the presentation is making sure we've got a good approach, a framework for understanding how to, how to identify projects in terms of their strategic importance, and then how to, based on that, then being able to identify the, the projects that can generate cash for us and those who won't. And that puts us in a position then to make better decisions regarding what projects we should be focusing on and when. The, um, I, and then the third thing is, I think that organizations have to start challenging people internally. You know, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll do that cost benefit analysis. Generally it's, it's accounting cost based. So what I don't necessarily see is what the true cash impact is. So I've got a situation where I'm looking at a number. It's not the true cash number. So I think it is. I've been bamboozled from that. And then once we approve the project, we say, okay, go ahead and implement. And then who goes back? and make sure that we actually realize the benefits uh, that we promised. And oftentimes it doesn't happen. And so one of the things the approach does is it tells us, okay, you know, we should be able to model when we're gonna have changes in cash, the decisions that need to be made as a result of change, those changes in cash, the timing of that, we should be able to project the financial impact of that. Now what we can do with that projection is go back and say, okay, what are the things that needed to happen for this number to come true? And so you've got a list of the activities, who was responsible, the timing of that, and you now have a very clear understanding of where benefits, you know, either AI over, uh, over or underestimated them. So I was wrong with my estimation. That happens. But the second thing is sometimes decisions that needed to be made weren't made. For example, getting out of a contract. We're going to get out of a contract in August, but here it is October. We still have that cost. Why? They didn't get out of the contract, right? So what we're allowed to do then with this type of an approach is see very clearly what the steps are on the back end that are going to be required to achieve this value. And a lot of times with the approaches, they don't take it that far. This number is tied to these actions or these activities. And so therefore, they oftentimes lose um, a portion of, or a good portion in many cases, of the value that has been identified. 
Thank you to Reginald for joining us to talk more about project profitability and maximizing ROI. And you can hear more from him at the Columbus Virtual Accounting Show on November 6th. The registration link is in our show notes. So what did you think of the episode? You can let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. Please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using. We'd love to hear your feedback. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.